On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, is the solution for world hunger and the growing population and the need for more and more food to feed all these billions of people that are now populating this planet, is the solution, ready for this one? Bugs! Uh Uh-huh, insects. Is this the future of fine dining? Crickets, maggots, larvae, I'm not making this up. It is a booming business right now. We're going to be talking about that. Also, on a totally and completely unrelated note, do athletes who jump to teams that are already stacked deserve as much respect as those who carry a team themselves or lead it to a championship. We're talking, of course, about the rumors that one of the places Kawhi Leonard may go is to the L.A. Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Is it as big a deal if he wins with a team that's already got two huge stars or a much bigger deal if he stays in Toronto or goes to the Clippers and has to carry a team himself? We'll talk about that as well here on the podcast. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. There are now nearly 9 billion people on planet Earth. If we're not quite there yet, we're approaching that number. And that has led some people, many people apparently, to begin thinking about what we're going to do to feed all these people as the numbers, as the population continues to increase. How are we going to find food sources that will be enough to handle all that? And there have been all kinds of different suggestions. Uh, Some of them crazy. Some of them really not practical. Some of them, I don't know, maybe, but we're not really sure. But the Washington Post proposed one today, and not really proposed, it's more talking about one that's already in the works, uh, that you, you may find very logical, or let's be honest, you may find it a little distasteful. Insects. Insects as the future of food. Bugs. Uh, here was the headline in the Washington Post, which is going to grab your attention. Let's not doubt this one. Uh, here's the headline. Maggots are the answer to feeding a human population that's heading to 9 billion people. Hmm. Even if you go down the insect road, throw in the maggot idea, that one is going to open some eyeballs. Anyway, uh, these insects or insects that can be edible, relatively, as I understand, cheap to produce, filled with protein. They grow quickly, easy to make enough, apparently, to do this. So what do you say about this? What is your thought on this? Well, let me bring in Darren Golden. He is with Entomo Farms that is a company that does this. They develop and grow and create foods from insects. Uh, he joins me now. Darren, how are you tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Antelmo, by the way, is in Ontario. It's just up near Peterborough. Um, now, I know this is not uncommon in certain parts of the world, in many parts of the world, I guess, that insects might be on the diet. But when you tell people in Ontario where you live that you grow bugs for people to eat, what's the usual reaction? Well, it's uh, generally a pretty mixed reaction. Uh, You know, it's gotten so much media attention over the last four or five years since we started that most people are becoming much more familiar with it than they were when we started. But generally, you get fairly mixed reactions. Um, We find most people are very open-minded to the concept of it, though. So you say it's, it's taken some, well, there's been some changes because it's been talked about originally when you started, perhaps I should ask, what was the response? Yeah, so people were, you know, sometimes maybe a little taken back. Lots of people had heard about it, you know, especially people that travel a lot internationally. Mm. They've certainly been exposed to it in other countries. And I would say, you know, maybe there's a a little bit of hesitation in an initial response, but generally people are curious about it. They want to learn more. They want to understand what it's about. You know, they ask questions like, how do, what does it taste like? Mm. Why would you do this? 
Um, you know, so well, I, I assume it, you. I assume you eat them. Yes, absolutely. So, what what do they taste like? <laughs> um, the, so, our primary product is crickets that we produce, and the crickets have a taste similar to like a sunflower seed. You know, so a little bit earthy, kind of seedy tasting taste. But it's it's not an unfamiliar taste. You know, when you do it for the first time, you kind of realize, wow, it, it does. It tastes just like food. Now, Darren, you say that, and I, I'm not doubting you. At the same time, when people talk about unusual foods, almost always they say, oh, it tastes just like chicken. And then when someone tries <laughs> it, they go, that tastes nothing like chicken. That's Do other people say it tastes like sunflower seeds or just you say that? No, that's the most common okay. uh, the most common response for first-time uh, triers. How were you introduced to this? Where did you get on this bandwagon? Um, I got introduced to this back in 2013 when the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization put out a white paper basically talking about population growth and the planet's ability to sustain um, you know, a population up to 2 billion people. And they did a lot of research looking at alternative proteins and which ones might be good for sustaining a larger population. And they identified insects as the most efficient converters of, um, you know, feed grains into protein. And had you been an insect eater prior to then? I had not been an insect eater prior to then. I have my younger brother and I have another company that produces insects for the um, pet and zoological industry. And so we had some background in insect and specifically cricket farming. So at that point, when you hear this, you see this white paper and you think, hmm, there may be a job there. Somewhere along the way, you have to say, well, let's find out what these things taste like. Do you just sort of dip into your stock and see what it goes down like? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it was a, definitely a transition for me as well in that period. You know, I, I didn't have any exposure to them. And even going back five years ago, there was not a lot of information out on the internet about how do you prepare them and what is safe and what are the dangers. And, you know, there was just not good information out there. So it took a little bit of a, of a leap of faith to say, you know what, this, this is something worth trying. For and, you, uh, we got to take a break, but for you, did the first one go down easy or was it a bit of a mental thing to make yourself do it? Um, it's certainly not as easy as it is now. It does take a <laughs> mental leap, yes. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show. Someday that song can be changed to I Got Bugs in My Tummy. Who knows? That's what we're talking about, though. There is a push from some corners, from some people. Not even push may not be the right word, but a suggestion that bugs, that insects that are safe for human consumption may be the protein, the food of the future with a growing world population. Darren Golden is with Entomo Farms, which is just near Peterborough. He is on the line with us. And Darren, there seem to be uh, two, I would think, obstacles here in Canada, in Ontario towards this, which I don't know that they're not overcomable, but uh, let's go through them. The first one I would think would be a cultural thing, because this is absolutely not something that most people in our culture have grown up with or probably necessarily feel comfortable with right off the bat. Yes, that is uh, definitely the case. I mean, for us, you know, as we've kind of uh, developed the business and developed our products, um, you know, we're starting to understand our customers better. And um, there is a huge part of the, you know, population that are interested in eating more sustainable foods, and they're interested in eating foods that are healthier for them. 
and uh, cricket uh, powder ticks both of those boxes. And yet in our country, for many people, the idea of bugs is dirty. And so how do you change the mindset that would say, you know what, if you eat a cricket or you eat another kind of bug, it's not a dirty food to be eating? Yeah, so we've just, you know, try to have real transparency in terms of uh, how our farming operation works, how the bugs are raised and produced and processed. And, uh, you know, we understood right from the beginning that if we're going to gain the trust of uh, the consumer, they need to understand clearly where the insects come from. I do love one of the lines on your website. Um, when Under the FAQ about how to get started eating bugs, it say, it's great that you want to start eating insects. We recommend starting off nice and easy. Make your favorite salad and toss a few crispy, tasty bugs on top, kind of like croutons. <laughs> um, that, that, I, I thought that was very funny, although I don't think it was meant to be funny. It's probably a very honest uh, assessment. But I, again, I think a lot of people, their eyeballs would bug out of their head, pardon the pun, when they, when they saw that. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. And the whole insects are not the best place for lots of people to start. We do grind the whole insects into a very fine powder, and that powder can be incorporated into lots of foods that people are already familiar with. And I would, and, sorry, and I would think that that would be far more um, sellable, far more amenable to people who, again, are not probably comfortable with grabbing a whole bug and chomping on it. Yes, absolutely. You know, people, if, if it's a food they're familiar with, then they're much more likely to give it a try. Have you ever and, done uh, a test on someone by not telling them, someone you would <laughs> trust, and just putting this powder on something and, and saying it's protein powder or something? Have you ever tried it? Uh, um, we have never tried it. We, you know, we kind of don't encourage that. We have lots of uh, stories from people that have done it to their family and, <laughs> and friends and stuff like that. And, and most of the time, the people don't know until they tell them. Right. And that's what I wondered about. Uh, the other side, so you've got the cultural thing. You've also got a marketing thing, I would think. And that comes down to the fact that, again, um, it's difficult in this call, in this country probably to make larvae or maggots or other bugs that they, even that the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post was talking about look particularly appetizing. Crickets maybe, cricket powder for sure, but some of the other ones, that, that's a tough sell. Um, it is a, a definitely a tougher sell. But like I said, you know, we focus on the demographic that is interested in doing this. And, uh, you know, certainly the, the nutritional profile of the crickets is, is so compelling. You know, they've got lots of prebiotic fiber. They've got vitamins and minerals that are far more bioavailable than any other meat. They've got the really good protein. They've got a prebiotic fiber. So, you know, we focus on people that are interested in, in the, the benefits of the insects. From a nutritional standpoint, what would it be comparable to? Um, it's so it's comparable to meat in terms of the protein and the iron and and those kinds of things, but it's it the, like I mentioned earlier the fiber which actually comes from the exoskeleton of the insect is something that is unique only to insects, and what research has shown is that is an incredible prebiotic fiber, and what that means is that that fiber feeds all the beneficial microbes in our digestive system. And science has shown that our digestive health is directly linked to our overall health. And so, you know, academia has really embraced this, and there's incredible people pumping out all kinds of research that over and over again shows the benefits of of this as a food source. We have heard, I've heard, I read this, that making them, making bugs or or farming them, for lack of a better term, is, is a rather inexpensive, relatively speaking, way to produce food. Is that correct? Um, it, that is correct. The challenge the industry still has to overcome is scale. 
So, um, you know, you need to reach a certain scale for an operation to become um, as efficient as mm. it can be. And Entomo certainly is the leader and, and the furthest ahead in that field. But from a land use, from a feed conversion, and from a water use perspective, insects are far more efficient than any of the other animals that we feed. So as time goes on and our operation continues to scale, we will be able to produce protein at a lower cost um, to other sources. And what is it today? We only have a few seconds left. But if I was to buy a, I don't even know what the size would be that you would buy them, but what would it cost to buy so right now, now our, our cricket powder retails at around $30, I believe it is, Canadian per pound. And uh, the important thing to keep in mind is that is a dehydrated product. So that would actually be four pounds of equivalent meat product. So it's, uh, you know, it's pretty in line with other proteins out there. Darren Golden from uh, Entomo Farms, E-N-T-O-M-O farms.com is their website. Darren, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, I will say that while I was in Africa, in Uganda, about a year ago, I did try a barbecued grasshopper, and not bad. I'm, I, you know, I, I did not expect it, but it was not bad. I could have eaten more of them. I had one, could have eaten more. Not sure it's for everyone, but I could have eaten more. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Usually a little later in the show, we're doing it right now. We do a little thing on the show where... It's called Ben's Story of the Day, and Ben is on the other side of the glass today. We're moving it up. I will give Ben three unusual slash unique stories from around the world. And based on whatever criteria he chooses, he will decide which one of these three stories is Ben's Story of the Day. Starting with story number one today, which comes to us from Nevada, just outside Las Vegas, where they have HOV lanes, just like we do on the 403 and the 401 and highways around here. The, the special lanes where if you have more than one person in a car, you're allowed to go in the special lanes that allow you usually to drive faster because the other lanes are jammed up and clogged. And so you want to, it encourages carpooling. Well, the Nevada Highway Patrol and lawmakers down in Nevada have had to change things up a little bit, have had to had to tighten up their definitions on what is carpooling <laughs> because um, they've discovered that those uh, there is a funeral home that is driving in the HOV lanes if they have a, 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 a body in the back of the hearse. <laughs> They're saying, well, we've got more than one person. We have two people. Well, it's not exactly, I don't think, what they had in mind when they wrote up the law for HOV lanes and the police and lawmakers, they say, now are having to rewrite it to say, no, they must be living people at the point you're in the HOV lanes. You can't just have a body in a casket. That doesn't count. I had a friend who would do this. He worked for a funeral home and he'd do exactly that here in Ontario. It would be, uh, it's a clever idea. Not quite within the bounds of what the rules are, but anyway, there's story number one. So yes, they are trying to uh, tighten things up a little bit, um, calling it a novel excuse when the person got pulled over for a ticket. What, I, what it doesn't say in this is when the cop pulled them over, pulled the guy over, did he have to go and open the casket to prove there was another person in the car? Here, officer, come look. I've got a guy or a woman. I don't know. Uh, story number two, this is, this is not really funny. This is one of those, it's just a, a pretty remarkable story. Uh, a Florida man which usually starts out with something that becomes completely ridiculous, those stories that start with a Florida man, but this is not. Uh, a guy was in New Smyrna or Smyrna Beach in Florida, 
and he pulled out his drone to get some pictures of his kids swimming in the water. He thought he would fly it overhead and have some really cool pictures of his kids frolicking in the wake in the, in the surf. What he did not anticipate was as he was looking into the camera, I guess, that would allow, I don't know, it doesn't say if it was, if he able, was able to see this while he was filming or afterwards, but just a few feet away in slightly deeper water, a shark was circling. Oh my. <laughs> yes. The, while his three young children were frolicking in the water. That will get your attention. That will get your blood pressure up. So does he try and like buzz the shark with the drone? No, it appears to me that he may have found this out after when he reviewed the film, because it would, if you had a GoPro or something, you wouldn't likely have been able to see it while it was flying above. How's that for some hindsight? Wow. (laughs) This is a guy who is never, ever going in the water again, I'm guessing. Oh, absolutely not. And story number three comes to us from India, where... Uh, mourners for this 20-year-old guy who was at his funeral. He was the the deceased. We're back to a story about a dead person again. Um, in the middle of his service, just as they were about to bury him, uh, he woke up. <laughs> he just said, no thanks, I don't like death? He, uh, he somehow came to, the doctors had declared him deceased, But as they were in the service to bid him a fond farewell, he came to in some way where they then had to rush him to the hospital. He'd been unconscious since June 21st. This is two days ago. Um, So he's been out for a couple months. He's been in some sort of a coma of some kind. How he lived without water and everything else. Now, they had, I guess, recently taken him off all the apparatus, but nonetheless... Uh, yeah, you're at your funeral. They're about to throw you into the ground and you go, oh, wait, no, wait, hello, here, I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. That would be, who is, who's in more of a state of shock at that point? Him for looking around and having probably whatever would be everyone's worst case fear or the mourners who probably, you probably had four people die of a heart attack themselves. There were probably four <laughs> additional funerals that had to happen because grandma and grandpa <gasps> clutch their heart and fall over. So for Ben's story of the day today, will we have the funeral director who used a body in a coffin to be able to drive on the HOV lanes? Clever, although not quite within the spirit of the rules. Will it be the father with the drone who captured a shark circling just feet away from his young children playing in the water off the coast of Florida? Or will it be the young man who was about to be buried and popped up in the middle of his funeral service and probably scared the living poop out of every one of the mourners there? Which one will be your story of the day today, Ben? Definitely the guy who wakes up. Because what do we say to the god of death? Not today, if you watch Game of Thrones. I don't, but that seems like a good answer. Not today. Maybe tomorrow. What a, could you, you know, what would the old, be the only thing worse than this? If they had buried him. <laughs> oh no. Oh my. Just waking up in a box. Worst nightmare ever. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in a guy who just left the building here, went home, had some dinner, is now probably stewing in his own juices out in that heat and humidity. Rick Zamperin, how are you, sir? I am comfortably in about uh, 22 degrees of uh, Celsius, 
of uh, air conditioned space. In oh, the house. That, see, that's that's a beautiful thing. To, this is one of those days when somebody listening, their air conditioning went out. You know it happened, and they're just swearing under their breath that it had to be today. I have more than enough room for them to come over and enjoy the AC. Excellent. They can sit and be part of the Kawhi Watch in the Zamperin household. Yeah, it's intense, I'll tell you. Do you you know what they need? And what I, I'm surprised they haven't done this yet. It was a few years ago that was it Budweiser that gave out those flashing red hockey lights that go off every time your yeah. team scores a goal. They need one for the Kawhi signing watch. So you can be doing whatever you're doing and all of a sudden just woo woo the thing will go off in the middle of the night when Kawhi it's announced that he signs. That see that's how you gotta do it. Well, you know how it would be. It would be, you know, whatever the device is, but instead of the light going off or a, a horn going off, it would have to be Kawhi's laugh. <laughs> yeah, 2 a.m. in the morning, you hear his laugh, you know that he is son. Uh, except that you may think there's an intruder in your house. Some, something could go horribly awry if that happened. But yes, that would be pretty funny to hear the Kawhi laugh wake you up out of bed. Uh, this is though, Rick, and I, there's a couple of things I want to get to on this, but have we not reached a new level of Canadian neediness with what's going on today? You know what? I've never seen anything to this level. Uh, and I, and I say that, and if, if no one quite understands what happened today. So we know that Kawhi Leonard has met with the Lakers and the Clippers, and today's meeting was with the Raptors as he decides his NBA future and which team he's going to play for next season and beyond. <clears throat> so he lands at Pearson International Airport earlier this afternoon aboard the MLSE private jet, then proceeds to hop into a, a, an SUV, a black SUV, tinted windows, a couple of them, were the subject of a highly entertaining helicopter TV camera footage, uh, <laughs> uh, very reminiscent of the white blonde very. Uh, O.J. Simpson chase on a California highway. All this is on the you know the uh, the highways of uh, Toronto as he makes his way to Pearson, <clears throat> gets out of the uh, plane, hops into these SUVs, find, finds his way to the hotel that he's having his meeting with Masai um, Ujiri, the president of the Raptors, and Nick Nurse, uh, head coach of the Raps, and, you know, all other off front office personnel. And all the while, this is being broadcast on TV. You know, the Kawhi watch is on, get your Kawhi fix, your Kawhi update, is he going to sign, what's he going to do? And it was I've never seen this level of intensity in terms of a player signing or re-signing or even meeting with the team. I mean, the closest that I can come up with would be a couple of summers ago, or actually last summer, when John Tavares was meeting with the Maple Leafs and the San Jose Sharks and a couple of other teams on where he was going to go and play hockey. But it was nothing like this. But yeah, not even close to this. I mean, this was Um, all we're missing in this one is Al Cowling's behind the wheel and a Kardashian involved, and you've got the OJ chase. And and police. And police, and maybe Larry (laughs) King. Well, and a murder and some gloves and all that. Well, okay, so a few things. But it was you said it was reminiscent. It was amazing. The pictures that were coming out, yeah, you could not help but make the same a s- mental connection with that. And it was like, okay, again, thankfully this is for a whole different thing, but my goodness, it's, it just seemed like I couldn't help it, Rick. It seemed to me, and this is what I saw how I introduced this, that this is the epitome of the Canadian neediness. We, for, for the sake of our self-esteem, for the sake of making us know that we're not second rate, that people love us. We we have to now at this point have Kawhi Leonard sign in Toronto. This is going to be devastating to people if he doesn't sign here now. Well, two things that I thought of beyond the bizarreness of, you know, the helicopter 
TV camera footage, which I think was a little over the top. But you have other NBA free agents, other NBA players, whether they're free agents or not, seeing this on social media because, <laughs> you know, back in the day of O.J. Simpson, there was no social media. You had to watch it to see it. But now you can see this, not even a car chase, but a, 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 a motorcade to uh, the, the hotel in Toronto. Uh, and other NBA players looking at this thinking, wow, this is kind of over the top. Or they're thinking, wow, I wish I were Kawhi in this situation. Look at all this attention that I'm getting. And that brings me to the next point, is that <clears throat> Kawhi's not an attention guy. He's the most low-key, cool as a cucumber. Uh, I don't want the spotlight. Uh, you know, it's more of a team than just me. I want to win as a team. So, I, I don't know. I understand the appetite from Raptors fans on wanting to know what Kawhi Leonard is going to do. But I think today the media stepped over that line just a little bit in, in providing that access to Kawhi's visit. Uh, you know, I, I, here's the thing. I, I've not been able to understand over the last number of weeks, and I don't think we've done it here on the show. I hope we haven't. If I, if it, if I have, I, I'm a hypocrite, but I don't think I have. Asking people, where do you think he's going to sign? Because nobody knows, Rick, and that's been the case all along. Nobody has a clue except for Kawhi Leonard, and maybe not even Kawhi Leonard. It right. is a complete waste of time for me to say to you, Rick, where do you think he's going to sign? How is Rick Zamperin going to know? How is Scott Radley going to know? Nobody knows this stuff, and yet there has been hours and hours of on different places spent on asking where do you think he's going to sign it has been all entirely a waste of time it has been because there's only one individual who knows that and that's Kawhi Leonard it might be you know certain individuals in his inner circle his family uh, but that circle is probably really small in terms of where he's leaning but the decision is ultimately his so yes on radio and on tv and on social media and on digital and in newspapers and magazines and everywhere you look it's where is he going to sign? And I have been asked a gazillion times uh-huh. what I think. And at the end of the day, my standard answer is I have no idea. I have I have my hunches. They have changed from day to day, depending on what I've read and what I've consumed and, uh, you know, gut feelings. Um, but at the end of the day, we simply don't know. I, I can tell you this, <clears throat> you know, the Lakers have made, uh, you know, an outstanding pitch. The Clippers have done so as well. I'm sure the Raptors today made their, you know, put their best foot forward. And it's ultimately going to be Kawhi's decision in terms of what what does he want out of this deal? Is it going to be a one plus one? Is it going to be a max five-term deal? Is he okay with four years? Does he care about the money? Because at the end of the day, when you look at tax brackets and, and potential earnings, signing with Los Angeles, even though the the um, uh, the number that he's going to get from the Raptors, a maximum of five years and 190 million, 38 million per year, <clears throat> after taxes, he would make less playing in Toronto than he would in Los Angeles, if you can believe it. Actually, three million dollars less per year. So, if money's a factor, he's going to go to LA. If home, playing at home, he's going to go to LA. If he wants to win a championship, I think, in my opinion, his best chance, at least in 2019-20 would be with the Raptors. So the question of where is he going to go, I think has been completely a waste of time. The question when you were just starting to answer of where would or where should he go, let me let me throw this out to you. And this is a very general question because one of the position one of the places that has been talked heavily about, there's really three, and, and people know this now, the Raptors, the LA Clippers, when the, the Clippers, by the way, for, for those who don't know, forever have been a joke of a franchise. Just now they are turning a corner and beginning to be a pretty good team. 
couple of Hamilton guys on there, by the way, as well, or at least one Hamilton, one Burlington player now on that team. But the Lakers is the third one with LeBron James and with Anthony Davis. And here's the thing. I have a very difficult time drudging up a great deal of respect for players who get together with their superstar buddies and try to build a super team to take the easy path to a championship. I just, I, I, I can't find it in myself, Rick, to be respecting guys who try and do it that way rather than trying to do what, frankly, what Kawhi Leonard did here in Toronto and carry a team. I think there's so much more glory and so much more respect and so much more honor in doing what he did here, even though he was traded here and didn't have a say, than jumping on someone's coattails and trying to ride to a championship. I think if he, and this is not, I mean, obviously he's not listening to us to decide, make his decision, but I think what he does here bolsters his reputation and his legacy way more than maybe winning three championships, but then it's all on LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I would totally agree, and you can ask Kevin Durant this question because he went to the Golden State Warriors, won two championships back-to-back, was the NBA Finals MVP in back-to-back years, and still many people say you know, he wouldn't have won those titles if he wasn't on Golden State. He was a major contributor to the Warriors' back-to-back titles. He was an outstanding player in those 12-plus minutes that he played against the Raptors in the, in the NBA Finals this year and then went down with that Achilles injury, but ask an NBA fan and certainly a fan of the Warriors that will say, hey, this is you know Steph Curry's team, this is Klay Thompson's team, this is Draymond Green's team, and oh yeah, we have Kevin Durant as well. So if, you know, if we can drill into the brain of Kawhi Leonard, A, it would be a fascinating ride. B, you know, what is the most important thing to him? If he wants to be the star or the guy in the spotlight, which I don't think is the case, I, I think picking the Clippers is the wrong answer because Anyone who plays for the Clippers is going to get overshadowed by the Lakers, no matter how good or bad that team is. They have a, an, an unbreakable band, a global brand that is going to be unmatched among any team in the NBA. And those two teams share close. those two teams not only share a city, but they share an arena. Exactly. If he plays for the Lakers, he's still going to be overshadowed because he's playing alongside LeBron James, the greatest player of our generation. And you know, Anthony Davis is there too, and he might even play third fiddle on that team. But if he plays for the Raptors, he's going back to a team he led to an NBA championship. He has a better team around him. Uh, virtually everyone is coming back aside from, well, at least at this point, Danny Green. Um, and the fact of the matter is, you know, he, he knows the coaches, he knows the training staff, the load management worked. I think he's comfortable in the city and the franchise. I think if he wants to win championships, which he said, I think the best chance is in Toronto. He doesn't get overshadowed by any other individual. He is the King of the North, as we've crowned him well, uh, in Toronto. I, see, I disagree a little bit. I think that if he goes to the Lakers and you've got Anthony Davis and LeBron there, that's probably his best chance to win a championship right now. The problem with that, though, becomes where, again, where is the where is the glory in that? Where is the that, that, to me, is like you going to a schoolyard and playing pickup basketball with someone in grade four and, and rejecting the ball and going, ah, I got you, kid. I mean, like, what's the, what does that matter? To me... LeBron James, using the example, LeBron James was a very good player, but when he went to Miami and he took Dwayne Wade and he took uh, Chris Bosh and they tried to build that super team and they won a couple championships, to me that, was, that wasn't all that impressive. What, when LeBron James, to me, was set himself as a guy who was among the legends is when he carried Cleveland to its first championship. That's what right. set him apart as a superstar. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, he is more remembered for his championship with the Cavs than yes. any day of the week. Every and, day. 
And, and Kawhi would be the same. If he went to the Lakers and won a couple of titles, he would still be remembered for leading the Raptors to their first championship in NBA history. Uh, I, I just think as a whole, in terms of which team has the best chance to win, you know, the Lakers with three amazing players would be very hard to beat. They wouldn't have anybody else on their team, basically, because they couldn't afford them. And they'd still have to go through Golden State, and there's some other teams out west that are tough to beat. I think the Raptors situated how they are, the team that they have, I think, you know, Philly and Milwaukee are certainly going to be at the top of the heap, and I think the Raptors can be there too. If he goes to the, the Lakers, and he may well, he becomes their version of Chris Bosh, the third guy to arrive, yeah. the third. And, he, and, and Chris Bosh, who is a very good player, but does anybody look at Chris Bosh as a legendary player? I don't think so, even though he no. won some championships because he was the third wheel, and you've already got LeBron and Anthony Davis. I. I it's it's a broader issue to me. It's the NBA. It's the modern NBA. Now, we don't see it in too many other sports, if any other sport, where you have these guys who are trying to get together and build these super teams. And to me, it, it diminishes all the guys who do this. It really does. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, you can compare Kawhi going to the Lakers to Kawhi's days with the Spurs, where there was Tim Duncan, who was an NBA superstar. And then you have other guys who are much popular than Kawhi in terms of you know public popularity. Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, uh, you know David Robinson back in the day. So he was uh, he wasn't at the top of the heap in terms of you know fandom in Toronto. He is the guy. I mean, we saw it with the coverage today. We saw it with the fan appetite uh, with two million people showing up to the parade. Yeah. I mean, they're not all there for Kawhi, but he's a huge part of this uh, of this uh, picture. But in both of those cases where he won championships, he it was not his choice where he was. He was in a circumstance that he found himself. Correct. One, because he was drafted by the Spurs and then he was traded to Toronto. He didn't go running after the easy championship. And it, you know, it always hurts me to say this because I have great respect for the man as a hockey player and as a hockey legend, but I al- it always drove me nuts that Ray Bork left the Bruins to go and chase a championship with the Colorado Avalanche. I always thought that was cheap. I al- Same with Roger Clemens joining the Yankees as opposed to staying with a team that he could lead to a championship was like, wait a second, you're really just, you as one of the greats of the game have decided the way to win is to jump on someone's coattails? That that seems wrong. On the flip side, I mean, you, you bring up the Ray Bork situation. He's, you know, he's on a Boston team that has gone to a few cup finals. They could never get over the edge. You know, Edmonton is always kind of in their way. You know, he's at the end of his career and he's realizing that this Bruins team has no shot at even making the playoffs, let alone challenge for a cup. And I think selfishly he's thinking, man, I just got to, I got to hoist that thing. I got to go somewhere that gives me the best opportunity to win. And, you know, with free agency and, and the nature of pro sports now, you can't blame him for jumping ship and going for the cup. But yes, I agree. It's, it's somewhat, I wouldn't say diminishes his legacy, but it would have been way better if he won it with Boston. Abs- yes. And, and I almost, and again, I'm not in his shoes. I'm not in his position. It's unfair for me to say this, but I think his legacy is almost enhanced if he just stays in Boston and plays his whole career there and doesn't win a cup. Now, there will be those who disagree, and there are people in Hall of Fame discussions all the time who talk about, you know, Dan Marino isn't one of the greatest quarterbacks because he never won a Super Bowl. Uh, Look, I would much rather have Dan Marino stay in Miami as he did and play out his career than to jump in the later years of his career to some team that's already stacked just to get a cheap Super Bowl. It was the name that I was thinking about, uh, you know, thinking about this scenario. And as you know, I'm a huge Dolphins fan, a huge Marino fan. There was 
a report uh, just prior to his retirement that he was considering joining the Minnesota Vikings to hopefully win a Super Bowl. And me as a fan, just a fan, was thinking, no, don't do it. Just retire. Uh, it, you know, going to Minnesota would, would tarnish that, uh, you know, Miami Dolphin uh, legacy that you built because you've spent, you know, 15, 16, 17 years in, in orange and teal. And, you know, I don't want to see you in another uniform. So from a fan perspective, I completely get that. You don't want to see the best of the best with another team, especially hoisting the trophy with another team. That's a gut punch. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a dog in the fight with Kawhi Leonard. I mean, it's fun to watch the Raptors with him, but I'm, you know, I'm not standing outside the hotel like some of the like some of the crazies right now, <laughs> yeah. and I am not in a helicopter hanging above the city. Uh, if he's going to go somewhere, I hope he goes to the Clippers only because of what we've just been talking about. It seems to me it would be diminishing in a way to jump on board with the Lakers now because it would just seem like it's the way to be doing it the easy way. Yeah, and let's I don't, not forget this. When he was with the Spurs and they were trying to trade him, he asked them to trade him to L.A., one of the two L.A. teams, because that's his home. And he didn't initially want to come to Toronto, and obviously the rest is history, but he might still have that thought in the back of his mind that I want to be at home, playing and, in front of my hometown. Friends. And that may well be, but how much more, as I let you go, how much more is the l- glory and the legacy and the resume for Kawhi Leonard if instead of going to the Lakers that looks like it's a potentially stacked team, if he goes to the Clippers and takes them to a championship or even to the finals, that to me is how a great, that's what a great athlete wants to do. Michael Jordan at the end of his career, guys were wanting to be with him. It wasn't the other way around. He never jumped around. He went to the Washington Wizards at the end, but that was just because the Bulls didn't have him back. But that certainly wasn't to chase a championship. That was just to keep playing. Yeah, if he isn't already amongst the conversation of best players in the league, if he went to the Clippers and and even led them to the finals, forget about winning it, he would have to be automatically in that, you know, best player in the league category. Uh, just got a text from someone listening saying, by the way, what about Paul Molitor and Dave Winfield? Um, you know what? Yeah. I, I mean, I suppose you can make the argument that when it, when it comes this way, that we're all fine with it. Uh, but again, I think the, the funny part is the Jays, if you recall, tried to get Dave Winfield way before he ever arrived here. They tried to make a trade for him and it never worked out. Um, I don't know. It's a... It, Again, to me, it it you don't like. I don't like to see guys chase the easy title, and I think that's what he would be doing if he goes to the Lakers. We'll see. Uh, the Kawhi watch continues here on nine hundred <laughs> CHML. We've uh, if if anything happens between now and eight o'clock, I, I I'm sure you will hear about it. Uh, Rick Zamperin, you'll hear Rick screaming from his house. Uh, Rick, <laughs> thanks for doing this. Always appreciate it. You got it. The Scott Radley Show, weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.